The Bible says there was a great crowd of mourners that were making their way through the gate of the city. Probably they were going out to a little cemetery somewhere where this young man was going to be buried. When Jesus came, he didn't arrive at a joyous moment. And here was a young man whose life had, was, was filled with great potential. You know, you think about the fact that he was young. Maybe he still had hopes for his future. Maybe he had hopes for, for a family someday. But now he's dead and gone. He probably had plans for his life. Maybe he would go into business for himself, some way to support himself and his mother, who was a widow, but now he's dead. His eyes probably were full of life. His mind was probably full of dreams, but that's all gone. Death had come, and it brought with it the cruelness and the heartache that it possesses. Just this Last week, a couple of days ago, a dear friend in the ministry went home to be with the Lord. Pastor Dave Wellman, a good friend, early 60s, maybe mid-60s, had a massive stroke that left him brain dead. And then the hard decision by the family to either try to do surgery and keep him alive for hopes that he would recover or to let him go. And you can just imagine the grief and the heartache and the, the very difficult decision that the family had to make. And finally, they made the decision he wouldn't want this. There's not enough of his brain left that he would really function well. He needs to go home. And two days ago, he passed from this life into eternity. Death is always hard. He's a friend. But you know, even more than that, he was a husband. Even more, he was a father. He was a pastor to people. And there are a lot of people who are grieving today over the death of a loved one. But you know, death has been a part of the human experience ever since man sinned. And death came into this world because of man's sin. When God said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, don't eat of that fruit, for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Adam made his choice. He made his choice to go his own way instead of God's way. And death has been stalking and claiming life after life ever since then. God gave a warning Go back to Genesis chapter 2 with me. Genesis 2 and verse 17. Genesis 2, Genesis 2 and verse 17. God said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat thereof. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. God gave a warning. Listen to what I'm saying. Obey my command, you'll live. But in the day that you disobey, you're going to die. Go to Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5 and notice Adam's experience here. In Genesis 5 and verse 5, the Bible says, In all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Just as God said, what would happen, happened. 
This has also been the human experience all the way up to today. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. Death and its pain is part and parcel of the human experience. And what happened that day in Nain is what has been happening to men since the dawn of time. Death has come. And friend, just as death has come for others, one day death is going to come for you and me too. Now I want you to understand this, though. And understand this this thought, okay? Pay attention and follow me. Understand this thought. There is something that is far worse than physical death. We read in our text how a a mother was mourning the loss of her son. A town was grieving with her over, over the physical death that had come to a young man. But I'm saying to you, there is something far worse than physical death. And the Bible describes it and tells us that it's spiritual death that is far worse than physical death. In Genesis 2, in verse 17, we read that verse. And in that verse, God told Adam that the day that he ate of that forbidden fruit was the day that he would die. Isn't that how that verse read? But did Adam die that day? Physically, he did not die that day, but spiritually he did. Adam did die that day, And it was later on that he died physically. He lived hundreds of years more. But spiritually, he died the very day that he ate of that fruit. And and you need to understand this as well. Death in the Bible is always a separation. That is what death is in the Bible. And and the reason for that is because we are a three-part being. We are body, soul, and spirit. Our soul and our spirit... They're eternal. They're inseparable. They can't be separated from each other. But our body is physical. It's temporal. It is the house for our soul and spirit to live in. And one day we're moving out of this house. This physical body is going to die and our soul and our spirit is going to separate from the house. In physical death, That separation happens when the soul and the spirit is removed from the body. But spiritual death is far worse because the soul and the spirit are separated from God for all eternity. Dying in this world is one thing, but spending eternity in torment separated from the presence of God with no hope of salvation is infinitely more tragic. That is the end of the person who lives their life without God and dies lost. Look at Psalm 9 with me, please. Psalm 9. The Bible says in Psalm 9 in verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God The Bible describes the end of the person who dies lost without the Lord. The wicked shall be turned into hell. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll read it to you quickly. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse 8. The Bible says, For from you sounded out... That's the first. I need the second. Verse 8 says, In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God... 
and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. The description is that he'll be pu- the one who is lost without God will be punished, the Bible says, in everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. That is the end of the soul without God. And you need to understand this as well. In our natural mortal condition, we're dead already. We're already dead. We're separated from God. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 tells us that in our natural state, we're already dead. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, And you, Ephi, quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. In our natural state, we cannot see hear, or feel God. We're dead to God, to His Word, to His moving, to His working in this world. And that is the reason why people can sit through preaching of the gospel and be unmoved by the message of the cross, by the message of the empty tomb. They're unaffected by the good gifts of God and the blessings of God, even on their life, who, is, who, who, who know not God. They're dead in their sins. And they're oblivious to the life that is available to them in God. And you know what? I've been there. (laughs) If you're saved today, you were there. If you've never been saved, you're there right now. And it's a horrible place to exist. But that is the way it is for everyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. A place of death. When Jesus came into that town... He came at a time of death. And you understand where I'm going with this? Jesus Christ came to me when I was dead in my sins. Go back to our text in Luke chapter 7 and look at verse 12 and we'll see the second truth that when He came, it was also a time of desperation. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 12, the Bible says, Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. You'll notice the wording of the text. There was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Here's a woman who had already felt the icy hand of death in her life. It took her husband. He was gone. The only things that remained from her marriage were probably a few memories and the only son that she and her husband had brought into this world. And now her precious son had been taken away by death as well. But there's more to that, even beyond just the death of a beloved son. This poor woman has no one left to care for her in her old age. It was up to a woman's children, especially her sons, to see that she was cared for in her declining years, but she doesn't have anybody left. She's all alone. She's helpless, and she's caught in a desperate situation. She finds herself trapped in a helpless condition. And here's the application. Just as this dead son is a picture of the lost person 
and their dead condition before God. This poor widow woman is a picture of that lost individual who's helplessly trapped in the bondage of their own sin. And you know what? That's what sin is. It's bondage. Consider these following verses here. And I want you to heed their message as we read. We read Ephesians 2 and verse 1, but we can read a little bit further. So go to Ephesians 2 with me again. Ephesians chapter 2. And look at, let's, let's look at verse 1 again and following. And you hath he quickened, that means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past, in your former life, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And the Bible tells us that in our natural state, you know, we think we've got our life under control, or I'm the master of my own fate, I do what I want to do, but in reality, we're slaves and in bondage to our own sin. We walk, we live according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, in other words, the devil uses the world and uses our flesh, and we are actually just pawns doing what our natural flesh is, is, is bent to do, which is to violate the laws of God, to live in sin. And we couldn't stop it if we wanted to. We're not the master of our fate. In Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 22... The Bible says that you put off concerning the former conversation or the former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Our life, what we are, is actually corrupt. We're not good. And the Bible says to put off that former conversation or lifestyle, that old man who is corrupt. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 8, the Bible says, here, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. What is, a, what is, the, what is the person person's life like who is without Christ? One who's full of anger and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication out of their mouth, lying and deceit. That's the old man. That's who we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Paul says to the, to the church in Corinth, you were like this, you were fornicators, and you were idolaters, and you were adulterers, and some of you were effeminate, that means they were homosexual, essentially. They abused themselves with mankind, some were thieves, some were covetous, some were drunkards and revilers. That's the old man. Such were some of you. And then he says, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, 
but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Those are the descriptions of the old man, the one without Christ. And the truth that I'm trying to convey here is that it's bondage. It's bondage. We couldn't change it if we wanted to. And the Word of God is speaking today, showing us that man is in a desperate situation and we are powerless to change ourselves. That's a desperate place to be. It's the place that I found myself to be in at one point in my life. It was a time of utter desperation when Jesus Christ came to me. The third thing that I want you to notice back in our text is that when Jesus came, He came at a time of deliverance. Go to Luke chapter 7. It was a time of deliverance. Look in verse 13. The Bible says, And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And He came and touched the bier. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. The Bible tells us here that the story didn't end with the young man dying. Amen? It didn't end with a dead person and a, des- and a desperate mother And as that little band of mourners was making their way out of town, probably to go to that cemetery, they met up with another group of people who were making their way into that town. The first group was weeping over the death of this young man. The second group was actually rejoicing over the power that Jesus had already demonstrated just the day before when he healed the centurion's servant. And If you look back at verse 1 of chapter 7, the Bible says, Now when he had ended all the sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he is worthy for, for whom he should do this. For he loved our nation... And he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he, and when he excuse me, was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thy servant, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto them, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. So this just happens. And then verse 11 says, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. All of these people were just with Jesus when he worked a miracle and healed this person. So here they're all coming into the city, and these two groups of people meet 
One, mourning over the death and loss of a loved one. The other group, rejoicing over the miracle that Jesus had just performed. And I highlight that and bring that out to highlight this. On that day, two enemies met. The first enemy was death. He had invaded and devastated a family and a town. The other was life. When Jesus came, death was defeated and desperation was gone. I want you to notice how he overcame death by his power. First of all, look in verse 12. The Bible tells us that he spoke peace to this sorrowful lady. The Bible says that he came and, uh, and found the, the dead man and the only son of his mother. She was a widow, much people with her. And then look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said unto her, Weep not. Jesus speaks peace to this sorrowful lady. We're told that the Bible tells us that Jesus had compassion on her. When he saw her, he understood her circumstance and he knew what kind of future she would face and the need that this woman had touched the heart of the Lord. She had invited Jesus to come and yet he came anyway. He came to her at the very moment that she needed him. She wasn't even looking for him, but he showed up anyway. She might not have even known Jesus by face, but he sure knew about her. And when I read this account, I get the impression that Jesus did all that he did just for her. He had compassion on her. And that demonstrates for us the grace of God, even in our own life. He came to us even when we weren't looking for Him. He understands our need. He comes to work in our life at just the right moment because of His grace. Now look at verse 14. Not only did He speak peace to this woman, He spoke life into the lifeless man. The Bible says, And he came and he touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak and delivered him to his mother. He spoke life into this lifeless man. After calming the mother, Jesus simply speaks a word. And the dead man immediately shows signs of life. The Bible says that he sat up and he spoke. I don't know what he said. I can only imagine. And you can, was it random, something that he said? Who knows exactly what he said, but the fact was, it proved he was alive. Amen? The sovereign power of God had moved in this situation and changed the situation for the glory of God. And I say to you today, when the Prince of Life met the cruel enemy of death, life prevailed and conquered death. Jesus didn't just defeat death for one man, though. He defeated death for all men. When He went to Calvary's cross, death is forever defeated 
for those who believe in him by faith. And what I'm trying to say is that this is exactly what he can do for you. If you're here today and you're not saved, you're trapped. You're trapped in your sin. You're in the grip of death. But Jesus Christ is calling. He's coming. He's looking for you. Only by the grace of God can you possibly be saved. Only by the love of God do you have an opportunity to be saved. He wants to bring you from death into life. He wants to deliver you from your hopeless condition in your sin. He wants to develop the characteristics of His life in yours. In other words, He wants to deliver you from death and from the desperation of your sin for the glory of God and give you life and true liberty. I started the message by asking the question, are you saved today? Do you know for sure your sins are forgiven? Well, we just read an example of how God moved in grace and power and took a hopeless situation and turned it around for the glory of God. And what Jesus did that day, physically, in one sense, spiritually, He's done the same thing in my life. A desperate, hopeless situation, a dead man, and breathe life into me. I was dead in my sins. I was in a desperate situation, but He came by His grace and delivered me. What a Savior. Amen? What love. What grace. And He can do the same for you. We're not told what that young man said when he was raised from the dead. But if you would have spoken to him later on, he might have said something like a song that we sing sometimes. And the words of the song are like this, The gulf that separated me from Christ, my Lord, it was so vast, the crossing I could never ford. From where I was to his demand, it seemed so far. I cried, Dear Lord, I cannot come to where you are. He came to me, when I was bound in chains of sin. He came to me when I possessed no hope within. He picked me up and He drew me gently to His side, where today in His sweet love I now abide. He came to me. Oh, He came to me when I could not come to where He was. He came to me. That's why He died. When I could not come to where He was, He came to me. What a Savior. What, a, what, a, what love from God the Father. And I would ask you today, if you're here and you're saved, do you remember the day in your own life when Jesus came to you? The day that He set you free. The day that He gave you life. The day that He gave you hope and glory in your soul. The day that He put you on a new path. That wasn't you. That was Him. And if you're here today and you're not saved, I would say to you, friend, He can come to you today. He can change your life as well. He can give you hope. He can give you joy. He can make all things new. He's trying to speak to hearts today. And if He's trying to speak to your heart, that means He's already come. 
He's come to where you are. And what He's asking of you is that you simply surrender to Him in faith. If God is speaking to your heart today, you respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you use the word, draw men to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.